Hi, this is Ann Angela Webb, the Animal Intuitive. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I just wanted to mention as a reminder that if you're interested in watching the episodes, they do come out first and they are on YouTube. The link is in the description below or you can go to the Animal Intuitive channel. And if you're interested in distance animal communication consultations with me, I am an animal communication professional. I've been doing this for almost 20 years and I also teach animal communication. I have a website, intuitivetouchanimalcare.com. It seems like every time I look at any news feeds, there is another story about someone causing harm to an animal, either intentionally or by what we often see referred to as neglect. Well, my guest tonight decided to not only create a program to prevent this never-ending slew of animal cruelty cases, but also to change the way people who harm animals view and treat them. This is going to be really interesting tonight, so get comfortable and join us. Hi there, I'm Ann Angelo Webb, the Animal Intuitive. This is the Animal Intuitive Show. We give, animal, we give animals a voice here through animal communication, uh, natural pet care, and interviews with experts with, with experts in the fields of animal care and advocacy. Um, I'm a professional animal communicator, and, uh, but tonight, and often we do do live animal communication, but tonight we have a special guest I'm very excited about. Um, so... Uh, our guest this evening has an incredible background in animal protection and welfare. Uh, Deborah Kahn is an attorney who's worked in a variety of roles, including having headed up and created the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office first animal cruelty uh, prosecution program. It's a program that has served as a model for other prosecuting agencies throughout the country. And Ms. Khan has authored several pieces of animal protection state legislation. She trained many prosecutors, law enforcement, and animal control officers throughout the United States on how to investigate, file, and prosecute cases in which animals have been mistreated and abused. She was regularly called upon to consult in cases of animal and cruel cruelty that occurred in uh, parts of California. And additionally, she created a curriculum on animal cruelty, which is taught in fifth grade classrooms by prosecutors. It's part of a nationally recognized uh, law-related education program called Project LEAD. Ms. Kanan is frequently invited to speak at professional conferences, to agencies, to groups that play a critical role in recognizing, reporting, or investigating animal cruelty cases. She was also featured in a book, uh, Citizen Canine, Our Evolving Relationship with Dogs and Cats. Uh, she was a member of the Association of Prosecuting Attorneys Animal Cruelty Advisory Panel and served as the executive director of the Susie Spectre Foundation, which was a non-for-profit organization whose mission was to raise, is to raise awareness and inspire change through education about the humane and appropriate treatment of animals. So all that being said, um, I also want to just quote Sharon Papa, who's the chief of police of Hermosa Beach, California. Um, she's the former assistant chief of police and co-creator of the L.A. Police Department's Animal Cruelty Task Force. And she was quoted as saying about uh, BARC, which is the topic we're going to be discussing this evening. It's important that law enforcement be proactive rather than just reactive when it comes to preventing animal cruelty. Until now, law uh, enforcement has lacked a vital tool that will help to reduce the likelihood that a person who has abused an animal will reoffend. The BARC course which is what we're going to be talking about tonight, fills a huge void and provides an opportunity to bring about positive and meaningful change. So all that being said, welcome, Deborah. Hi there. So for the next few minutes, you're going to hear Deborah Khan's voice, but just see me. Unfortunately, something happened and the voice was recording, but her face wasn't. So she will be popping into the interview momentarily, but just bear with us. And I have a nice picture of her up on the screen next to me, though, for, for a while the voice recording is just on. Hello, thank you for having me in. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for being here tonight. Um, Deborah, we have we have a lot to talk about. Um, but first off, I'm going to let you tell us a little bit more about your background. And then we're going to talk about the Benchmark Animal Rehabilitative, Rehabilitative Curriculum, known as BARC. Um, and we're also going to have some, hopefully some time for some Q&A at the end. 
please feel free in the chat to add your comments. Um, I know everyone here is really great. We don't have to worry too much about, you know, anyone being out of line or inappropriate, although I know this is a topic that can upset people. Um, so be aware of that if you're watching. Um, but feel free also to ask your questions at the end if you jump in. And if this is someone, if you're watching on the replay, um, please feel free to leave your comments and questions. We'll do our best to come back and, and answer those. So, okay. So Deborah, please tell us about your background. So uh, up until about nine months ago, I was a prosecutor with Los Angeles County. And uh, during my time there, at some point I was becoming involved with animals. Uh, it all started about 25 years ago when I got my first dog. I did not grow up with animals um, and I really didn't know anything about them and they weren't even on my radar until I got my first dog. And after that, um, you know, I started really loving them, all, all kinds of animals. And little by little, I was becoming more involved in animal welfare, just learning about it. Um, I sat on the city commission that um, oversaw the Department of Animal Services for LA City. That was their animal control. And then I actually also was recruited to go work um, as the assistant general manager of animal services. So while I was there, I started learning more and more about the different types of animal cruelty cases there were. And I saw that prosecutors um, really were not aware of the different laws. They're very nuanced and they're very specialized, the laws regarding animal cruelty. And the more I learned about them, the more I realized that I didn't know anything about them. And I found that my fellow prosecutors, through no fault of ours, just because we didn't handle those cases, we really were not aware of the law and the special you know, legal technicalities and that, that go along with filing those cases um, and prosecuting them from beginning to end. So I proposed to our office that we create an animal cruelty division. I had heard that um, there was one actually in New York um, so I kind of looked, it was a smaller unit. Um, it wasn't on the scale of what we had. Well, our office was huge. Um, we have 28 offices with the LA County DA's office. It's the largest prosecuting agency in the entire country. So just kind of, you know, doing research and I proposed that we create a unit that would be specifically dedicated just to prosecuting animal crimes so that prosecutors would get really specialized training in it. And so when an animal case came in, they would know which laws were relevant, what to file, um, what types of evidence to look for, how to present the case in court. Because again, that's not a typical, we're used to handling robberies and burglaries and all different kinds of cases, but not animal cases. Mm -hmm. okay. So my um, decided to accept the proposal and they allowed me to just put it together, which meant creating policy, um, getting, we decided that rather than having just a dedicated handful of prosecutors, um, it would be more effective because the county was so huge that the dedicated handful would have to travel all over the county. So instead, what we decided is to have one prosecutor in every one of our 28 offices who would be the animal cruelty designee. And that designee was specially trained and any animal related case that came into the office would go directly to that designee. So that's basically, um, you know, what we did. And um, so wow. it, it sounds like a lot of work um, <laughs> and all inspired. Do you feel like it was just inspired because you got the dog and then it kind of grew from there? Because I mean, some in some um, counties and states, it probably just wouldn't even, you know, people wouldn't go to the, the efforts that you did to get something like this going on such a large scale. Right. Well, yeah, it, it, it's, that was my, that ultimately became my awareness or my becoming aware of animals. The mm -hmm. one dog His name was Ziggy. Oh. And um, yeah, it, it was a lot of work um, because we had to put together, you know, a manual and policies and training um, and we have regular turnover, so there constantly had to be training for the new designees to keep them, you know, obviously trained to do the cases. But, and then training all the, um, we have, I don't know, there were 35, maybe more law enforcement agencies in LA County. And then there are a lot of animal control agencies. So it was making them aware of what we were doing and training them how to put these mm -hmm. cases together so that we could file a case. Because, you know, the heart might be willing, but if you're not bringing a prosecutor enough evidence to substantiate a criminal filing, 
then we cannot file a case. So there, it was it was an issue. I mean, we had in one case, for example, um, some civilians had called the police because it was a mobile home park. And one of the residents, they said, had killed his cat in very, very way. Mm-hmm. So they called the Please did go out there. And I remember this was this was in 2007. So we've advanced a lot. Yeah. Thanks to the efforts of my office and a lot of other prosecutors around the country. And when we the police went out, they threw out the body of the cat. And they threw it in the dumpster. And by the time I got the case, it was too late mm-hmm. to retrieve the body. So they didn't understand, and a lot of people didn't understand that the body was the evidence. Topsy, which equivalent of a human autopsy. And so if we can't cause, um, can't prove cause of death, and the defendant says, well, you know, the cat accidentally fell off the table on it, onto its head and died, well, how can I disprove that? So it was training all of the law enforcement and all of the animal control officers on what we needed as prosecutes, prosecutors in order to actually file a case. So it was building a foundation on which could stand excellent prosecutions by our office. Mm-hmm. So it was a really huge combined effort and all of the law enforcement agencies and the animal control agencies were extremely open to learning and becoming much more adept and more um, developing expertise in the area of animal crimes. And it was also training the veterinarians. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you know, there's so many different pieces to prosecuting an animal cruelty case. And it really does take a village because if any one of those pieces doesn't work, the, the case just either can't be filed or it's going to fall yeah. apart after it is filed. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was actually going to be my next question. When you mentioned how much training goes into it, I was wondering if you got any resistance from the different police departments and just different agencies, you know, not taking it seriously or... Um, no, you know, even at that point, um, you know, when we, when we made a point of telling the officers um, two things. One, the link between animal cruelty and other crimes... Mm-hmm. And also telling them that, look, if you could go in on an animal cruelty case, for example, a domestic violence case. So a lot of times there's domestic violence and animal cruelty kind of in the same household going on mm-hmm. for various reasons. And so what we would tell officers is that domestic violence cases are very hard to prosecute because a lot of times for many reasons, the victim does not want to, you know, they initially might cooperate and then they start to recant or they, their cooperation mm-hmm. falls off. But we tell them that if you've got the animal cruelty case, in addition to the domestic violence, mm-hmm. that's a way to case together. And if nothing else, you can get the animal cruelty case. And that carries in California up to three years in state prison for a felony. Wow. So when they realized that animal cruelty cases could gain them entry into homes, like if they write a search warrant based on the animal cruelty case, they might find other things in there. And that they might be stopping other crimes from occurring if they nip it in the bud by just getting a person on animal cruelty. Then I think even the people that might have been a little bit skeptical about, you know, police officers sometimes say, oh, it's just a dog case, or it's just a bird case. You know, um, that's not why I became a police officer. But when you really explained it, and I think most people, I think it's human nature that we understand the why behind why we're doing things, then you really get buy-in. And that's really what we do in the BART course also. We don't just tell people what the law is and what is required of you as an animal owner, but we explain to them why. Mm-hmm. So so anyway, to answer your question, no, we did not really, you know, there were a few skeptics, but, um, you know, they hid their skepticism, I think, after a while when they saw other people being so enthusiastic. <laughs> and it all worked. It's, it's amazing. Um you know, just the lengths that you had to go to to get this implemented and that it ended up, you know, taking taking on kind of its own life, it sounds like, and really caught on. And uh, it's just, a, it really seems like it had like a far-reaching effect. Um, and I was wondering, when you talk about animal cruelty, um, what is included in that, in that terminology? What would you define as animal cruelty in, the, in legal terms? Well, there are, there are many different forms of animal cruelty. The main two are um, intentional cruelty, which is where somebody purposely, you know, kicks, burns, stabs an animal. Yeah. Um, then there's what I like to call passive cruelty. It's usually called neglect. Yeah. And the reason I like to call it passive cruelty is because neglect, before I knew anything about it also, it sounds very benign. 
and like not a big deal. Yeah. Um, like what you forgot to give them their, their summer haircut. Oh, you, you know, you neglected them. But neglect actually, in my opinion, can actually be a lot worse than the intentional cruelty because um, so neglect is failing to provide for an animal, whether it's food, water, shelter, or anything that would cause an animal to suffer um, physically or psychologically. Mm-hmm. And the reason say it's worse is because let's say if you stab an animal to death, as horrible as that is, that's over maybe in a couple minutes, maybe even less. But an animal who's been neglected severely, they linger and it they they suffer really for weeks, sometimes months, sometimes even for years on end. Yeah. Well, about horribly infected teeth. Anybody who's had a toothache knows how horribly painful that is, and also how deadly it could be. You know, a tooth infection can get to the heart and can and can kill you. Oh, yeah. But we animals that have um, laid out in people's yard. Neighbors have reported hearing that animal. One, I remember they said the animal was yowling Mm -hmm. for weeks on end, and they finally couldn't stand it, so they called the police. So that's another form. So passive cruelty or neglect. Then there's dog fighting. There's cock fighting. um, There's leaving an animal in a hot vehicle, um, although there's no crime. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that there is in California specific crime about that, but that all comes down to, again, the physical um, suffering that an animal endures as a result of being left in a hot car. Um, You know, hoarding is a form of animal cruelty, Um, you know, the less benign hoarding. So that's, I think those are pretty much the main categories of animal cruelty. Well, and that being said, I was amazed when I went through the website, um, you know, looking at the course and what's involved in it, just the comprehensiveness of the course. It covers everything from like grooming to appropriately addressing separation anxiety um, and, and then also addressing the fact that animals are sentient beings and just everything in between. So, and I was really thrilled to see that you had this section on feelings and emotions in a video, do animals think and feel as a part of the course, um, and then non-domesticated animals, um, complex emotions and reasoning. So, um, you know, how did you choose these topics? Uh, you know, that's so wonderful that you're getting into the these concepts. It's not just so, you know, it's not just kind of like, they need to be walked and fed, you know, there's. <laughs> You went really deep with this course. Well, the majority of the course is not touchy-feely because that's not, um, I, I should mention that this course is only for people, um, it's by referral only, and we only accept referrals from members of law enforcement, um, from prosecutors, criminal defense attorneys, um, school administrators, um, and mental health professionals, although we get very few of those, and this course is we make it very, very clear this course is only designed to be educational. It is not ever to be used instead of or in lieu of mental health counseling or substance abuse counseling. Um, and so it's, it's again, it's used a lot of times, of course, in, in conjunction with jail, fines, mental health, as I said, substance abuse counseling. But um, it is not a touchy-feely course um, because it is being used by the criminal justice system. But we do start off the very beginning of the course, as you mentioned, where we talk up. We have a whole smaller section on the, the fact that animals are thinking, feeling beings, and that mm-hmm. they do really suffer, because there are, are actually a number of people who don't believe that animals have feelings, mm-hmm. and that was a concept that was actually taught in veterinary schools, you know, decades ago, that animals didn't need anesthesia because they didn't feel. So the reason we start our courses off with that is because a lot of the people who take our course, um, you know, it's, there are different cultures, and when I say cultures, I'm not talking about different nationalities or different countries. I'm talking about different cultures even with the United States. Mm -hmm. For example, who might use animals for farming, um, they might have a little bit of a different take or understanding of what animals think, believe, feel, or or should be receiving in the Mm -hmm. form of care than somebody who has domesticated animals at home like dogs or cats. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to start it off by letting people know who didn't realize that animals actually do experience physical pain and suffering that in fact they do. Mm -hmm. So that's how we chose that. And the rest of the topics were all chosen because um, for two reasons. One, um, because they're different legal cases that prosecutors see everywhere 
Um, again, it's a violation of the leash laws, it's the violation of the tethering laws where you're keeping an animal tied up for long periods of time, which is not only inhumane, but it also can lead to severe harm to the animal, where we have cases where animals actually, while they're on the tether, will jump up, for example, on top of a car or on top of a, um, a doghouse or over a fence and, and hang themselves. Ugh. That's actually so, what happened to my dog. He got caught, his arm got caught on the fence. They left him in the backyard and he wanted to get inside and he got caught on the fence, dislocated his arm and they didn't fix it for several weeks until the rescue came and took him. So yeah, I really identify with, with that one. Um. <laughs> yeah, so, so the topics are typical legal cases that we see hoarding and dogfighting and cockfighting and the forms of abuse we just talked about. And then other ones are about being a responsible pet owner because even though a lot of the people who take the course um, receive orders by the court that they're not to own or possess animals or be in contact with animals for a certain period of time, we realize that at some point that order is going to go away and they are going to either have or be around animals. And that really was the whole point of this course. So, um, you know, as a prosecutor, I realized that we were doling out, you know, um, d case dispositions um, that consisted of fines or jail or prohibition on owning animals, um, community service, prison. And I thought, you know, none of that, as necessary as some of those things may be in each case, none of that is ever going to change somebody's understanding of what they need to do as pet owners. Mm -hmm. And they're never going to understand why they, what, what they did was wrong. Mm -hmm. And so changing their attitude and changing their understanding and changing their knowledge of the law, the hope is is that going forward they will not repeat the behavior again. And so that's why I felt an educational component to a criminal sentence is crucial. Mm -hmm. I realized also that not every criminal case is going to deserve to be filed as a criminal case. I mean, there's some people that do things not out of malice, um, they're relatively not serious cases, um, you know, like they left their dog in a hot car for 20 minutes mm -hmm. and the animal wasn't harmed in any way, but you still need to address that with the person. So rather than filing a criminal case, prosecutors might say that it's called diversion sometimes, like pre-filing diversion, mm -hmm. that rather than filing a case, we're going to have you take a course. And once you complete the course, we either won't, we won't file a case, it'll go away, or if a case has been filed, once you take the course, then we will dismiss it. So that is why um, this course was created to begin with and that's how it's being used now across the country okay so um, are there times so if the person does end up in jail um, and the, are they taking the course while they're in before they come out um, how does that work if they take the course while they're in jail yeah mm -hmm. do they like do they actually like do they they go to sentencing and then while they're in jail part of the um plan is that before they're out they would take the course is that like or is it something they do after like what it, like is it yes they, they don't take it i i've never heard of somebody taking it in jail that would be interesting i, I don't <laughs> i don't know if they have the <laughs> okay but just, mm -hmm. when you ask about topics we also cover things like spay and neuter um, which in some jurisdictions is the law, but we teach it because we feel that, again, you know, that's a, that's a necessary component of being um, a responsible pet owner. Mm -hmm. uh, and we talk about exercise. Um, you're exercising your animal and playing with your animal, which again is not against the law. A lot of people don't understand why it's not illegal to not walk your dog, but it's not. But we feel that that's something that they should be aware of if you're going to take on an animal. And we cover things pretty extensively about grooming, and it's because we have seen in the criminal law world that grooming is not a luxury, but what happens to an animal when you don't do certain things, like if you don't brush their hair. Right. You know, long animals, their fur becomes matted. And I remember one to this day, one horrible case of this dog that was ex matted to the point where its hair had become as hard as a rock where you actually could knock on it and hear a sound oh, yeah. and that's very heavy so it was constantly pulling on the dog's skin mm -hmm. and covered its anus so it couldn't defecate properly oh, my gosh. so grooming is something that 
again, an animal needs for its own comfort, but it also is that something that could lead to a criminal case being filed against somebody. Interesting. So yeah. that's why I'm trying to nip things in the bud and, you know, make people aware. So we, as you said, cover, you know, a lot of things. Yeah. And, I, you know, just listening to this, I don't know how, uh, how did you do how, what is it like to, to hear all these court, these cases and be prosecuting them? Like, how do you deal with the emotional side of that um, as an animal lover? Well, you know, it's unpleasant. It really is. And what made it even worse was with the, you know, growing popularity of cell phones. The, the great thing is, is that people were starting to actually film things. Mm-hmm. Like if neighbor beating their dog, they actually filmed it. And I mean, you can't pardon the bad pun, you can't beat that as evidence, right? right. But as a prosecutor, it's so much harder because rather it's bad enough to read what happened, but all of a sudden now you have to actually watch that. Oh. And in, we had some audio, um, I, I won't go into detail about it, listening to it. It's very, oh. it's very painful to listen to. Yeah. So as a prosecutor, what you have to do in order to be effective, and that's, again, that's just stuff for animal cases, because, I mean, child abuse cases are difficult. Yeah. Any case, even adult on adult, is painful when you're watching somebody being yeah. beaten, you know, stabbed. But you have to, in order to be effective, really compartmentalize. I mean, you have to consciously decide that you're not going to become emotional. And, and I'm not going to lie. I mean, there were a lot of times when I would read a case and I would get, I would get upset. Mm-hmm. And I mean, my blood pressure would go up and I don't want to say what I say because it's, you can't say it on the air, but in my mind I'm saying, what is wrong with you to yeah. the defendant? <laughs> I would just go, what is wrong with you? And then I would calm down and then I would go back to reading it. Mm-hmm. But I will say that I would speak to a lot of law students in law schools who wanted to go into animal cruelty because it's becoming, there are law schools like the Lewis and Clark um, in Portland Mm-hmm. that you can actually get an LLM, an advanced, basically like a master's in law, in animal law. So a lot of law students want to get into it, and I would tell them flat out, they would say, I want to get into it because I'm a huge animal lover. And I said, well, you know, it might be a problem being a huge animal lover because yeah. you cannot be emotional about this. You can't constantly be getting upset, and when you become really emotional, you lose your reason, your sense of reasoning. And as prosecutors, probably the number one rule is that you remain objective and fair. Mm -hmm. And just because you're really upset about it doesn't mean that what is really a misdemeanor you file as a felony, because that is extremely unethical. Mm -hmm. And so you cannot get emotionally involved to the point where it affects your ability to be objective and fair as a prosecutor. And that's that's a tricky thing, and not everybody can do it. And some people started, and they said they thought they could do it, and they found out they couldn't do it. Yeah, I don't think I could. Oh, boy. Um, and I have to give you credit for being able to do it, because they do need people who can. Um, you know, that's the only, you know, I'm wondering, too, about the future. Like you said, you know, they do have some these schools that are focusing on it. But um, do you see, you know, animal rights going in the right direction, so to speak? Do you feel like you know, more and more laws are coming and that things are opening up or, you know, do you have a sense of the future of um, animal protection and welfare from a legal standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every day the laws are involving in favor of animals. Um, You know, like in civil law, you used to be able, let's say a veterinarian kills your dog by performing a bad surgery. So it used to be that all you could get was um, the value of the dog. Now, if they're anything like my dogs who I get from the shelter and I paid like $15 for one because they're basically on their last legs and nobody, you know, they're old and decrepit. They're going to reimburse me, you know, for depreciation. Um, I might've got a dog for them. (laughs) Case law, because that's how laws evolve. You know, every time a case is decided, the new laws are made in addition to having new legislation. So it's either legislation or through cases where a judge decides something, and then it becomes a precedent, which you can use in future cases. Well, all of a sudden now in civil law, more and more they're recognizing that animals have sentimental value. Mm-hmm. So it's much how much that dog cost. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
you know, recognizing that it has intrinsic value and sentimental value. And as I said, even legal laws now, they're, you know, laws, while I was doing it, we would change about um, holding evidence animals, which was a huge problem. You know, police officers are used to collecting inanimate objects as evidence, like knives and, you know, Mm -hmm. forks and that type of thing. They'd collect a live animal as evidence, and then everybody would forget about the animal because we're just not used to having to worry about the evidence, right? You can sit there for five years, a knife can, and who cares, right? The worst that could happen is it might become a little bit rusty. But we had animals sitting in in shelters for up to two years sometimes. They weren't being walked because the shelter felt that it's an evidence animal. They didn't want to, you know, get, you know, break chain of custody or, or whatever, be accused of somehow, uh-huh. you know. So laws about that now are coming into place. Mm-hmm. And it really takes prosecutors or animal, profession, animal control professionals to understand that certain laws need to be changed and then going and advocating. And, and it helps a lot when there are already laws in place in other states because then you can point to that and say, hey, California has this law we should too. Mm. So I just see the laws getting better and better and better for animals pretty much every year. Is California pretty much at the head of all of this or? Uh, I think in a lot of ways it is. In a lot of ways it really is. We've had some groundbreaking um, laws there. Uh, I'll give you one example. Um, California had a law that allowed, um, my big pardon upon pet peeve was animals being left in hot cars. Mm-hmm. I mean, that every summer I would dread in, in L.A., you know, summer there, you know, nine months a year. So for nine months a year, every time I had to leave my house, I'm thinking, oh, please, dear God, let me not see an animal in a car today. It's just going to, you know. So, um, and, it, and it happened a lot. You'd see it a lot. So awareness, again, has raised a lot, and people are much more savvy about that. But the law said that if an animal was in a hot car, only law enforcement had the ability or the right to break a window to get or to jimmy a lock or whatever to forcibly go in to remove that animal. Mm-hmm. And so I thought selfishly, well, I would like to be able to, if push came to shove, if it was really, really, really bad, yeah. and people were afraid to do it. I mean, some people would. You mm-hmm. see these YouTube videos of people being heroes, but most people didn't because they were afraid of either being criminally charged with vandalism yeah. or being sued by the pet owner and that there would be civil liability. So as much as they would want to do it, they were afraid to do it. And so I wrote a piece of legislation and the LA County DA's office was absolutely amazing in supporting every piece of animal legislation that I asked them to support. And that meant a lot at the legislative level, having such a large office supporting, because my office is very well respected. So I wrote a piece of legislation that would amend that, that would say that civilians had the right to break in to a car to get an animal out as long as a number and the only reason it passed with flying colors was because we put a lot of steps in there that had to be followed before you do it you know you just can't walk by and start smashing you know the animal had to be in serious imminent danger of um bodily harm you had to call 911 you had to stay at the vehicle you had to give the animal over to animal control or whoever requested it um, you only could use as much force as was legally necessary to save the animal. So with those steps in place, it was a very responsible law. And mm-hmm. so California amended the law and now allows civilians to do it. And so I felt a lot better about leaving my house on a personal level when it was hot out, knowing that, you know, oh, and, and the biggest part was you could not be held civilly liable or be charged with a crime if you followed those steps. That was okay. the thing. Um. I think that's now, uh, I, I'm pretty sure we, ha- I could be wrong. Nobody follow what I'm saying, look it up. But I <laughs> I thought we had it now, like in this part of the country too, like I'm in New Jersey and New York state. Like I think it. Yeah, sure you do. Because this really was, took over. yeah, this was a while. This was, you know, I don't know, seven years ago, eight years ago, maybe a little long. So they probably pointed to California and said, California does this. Why don't we? Yeah. That's yeah, and whatever great. it had, but um, yeah. So, like I said, it's very easy. It's much easier to get a law passed when another state. The legislators aren't so nervous then about kind of going out on a limb and doing something that could be seen as a little bit, um, you know, risky or cuckoo. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, and I, you know, going back to 
going back to the course itself, how do, you know how did you go about helping the people who are watching the class really kind of process that that, that animals have thoughts and feelings? Do they do you go into the science of it, or how do you? Um... No. So we start off at the beginning that section about animals or sentient beings, and there's also um, another part of it where we have a lot of we I don't remember how many scenarios there are maybe ten or twelve, and it's basically causing the reader or the student to put themselves in the shoes of the animals or the, the, the hooves of the animals. Um, for example, there's one little scenario. And so what, what we ask them is after we give the scenario, what could this person have done better for the animal? And then we give them a selection of answers. And one scenario was, um, you know, Bingo's been waiting all day long home for his, all day long for his owner to come home. He can't get to the backyard. He's been having to go to the bathroom for like he's been having to pee for the. And we use language, you know, that's not highfalutin. He's been having to pee really badly for the last few hours, and he's dying to get out and get some exercise. He finally hears the key in the lock. You know, Jill is home, and he's so excited and thrilled. He's going to get to go pee, and he's going to get to go outside where he hasn't been for the last twelve hours. And Jill runs up the steps right past him, pats Bingo on the head, changes into her gym clothes, and runs out the door. And he's just sitting there, like, you know, devastated because now he can't go out to pee or to exercise. And we say, what could Jill have done better? And then we say, you know, Jill could have taken Bingo for a walk um, before she went to the gym. She could run with him instead of going to the gym. So, you know, we just... So it's all about placing the student in the, in place of the animal so that they start to see things through the eyes of the animal. So that's one of the ways that we get them to start thinking about animals, you know, as sentient beings, as you said. And what are the majority of the cases that you get? Are they, you said, I think you might have said that they're more like the neglect, um, but what, are there specific things that just come up more than others? Yeah, um, it, it's intentional cruelty and neglect are the biggest ones, or the passive cruelty. And in the passive cruelty ones, I would say um, it's people who didn't get their animals to a vet when the animal was really sick and just let them linger there. Um, and, and we're talking about, you know, like severe injuries or severe illness that they didn't address and didn't take. You know, like if the animal might have a cancerous tumor or not even a cancerous tumor. The tumor grew and grew and grew and grew to the point where it's like this large and it's, you know, I don't want to go into graphic detail, but it's yeah, leaking. Yeah. So that's that's very typical, um, the failure to provide veterinary care. Um, we have a lot of cases, unfortunately, of people who um, don't feed their animal properly um, and the animal gets to the point where they either die of starvation, you know, like they'll leave them out in the backyard mm. and they... Sometimes they'll go away for a week or two and not feed the animal or have somebody in to care about them. Um, or they leave them in an apartment when they move and the animal starves to death. Um, and then we have uh, a good amount of the intentional cruelty ones where we people do. have done really bad things. We had a lot of hot, depending on parts of the country, a lot of animals in hot vehicles. You know, I guess... <laughs> I guess I try to, th I, I deal with so many people who, you know, in my, my business uh, as an animal communicator, you know, so many people are like wanting to do anything they can to help their animals. And, you know, you kind of think, well, it, it must just be, people are ignorant, you know, the, when they end up in these situations with, you know, not that I'm naive. I mean, I know that there's definitely people who do intentionally harm animals, but you want to believe it's like few and far between, but um, it doesn't sound like it from what you're saying, um, that it's, it's probably a lot more than we want to think. Um, uh, with those cases, where if someone's intentionally harming them, you know, it seems like this, this is a great course. Do they, but you said that they do sometimes also have them go for additional counseling um you know there's other things they put in place yeah well again that's entirely up to the prosecutor and um, I'm, I'm not a prosecutor at this point in my career um it's up to them to decide everything that they're going to include in it mm -hmm. um you know they they sometimes they should be including things like i said if somebody has a substance abuse problem and the reason that they say that they did what they did is because they were high on meth, let's say, mm -hmm. that 
hope is, is that a prosecutor would um, include as part of their probation or as part of their diversion, you know, attend, you know, either in, in um, not in-house, but, uh, you know, a live-in program uh -huh, that yeah. would address all of the factors that have gone into creating the behavior. Um, a lot of times that what they need is, um, and we would do this all the time in animal cruelty cases, and I know that they do still do in the LADA's offices, anger management. Okay. Because a lot of times they're just really angry, and I mean, just like, it's the same type of thing where they're out on a child or a more vulnerable victim, like a, like a, you know, a smaller female or a child or a smaller male or whatever the case is, they have anger issues. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the, the animal just happens to be the handy target, either once or on a regular basis. So that person's anger definitely needs to be addressed. Right. I mean, of course, again, it, it educates, but it's not a cure at all for underlying psychological or um, mental or physical, physical yeah. issues. Um, you know, you did have something on your website where um, I know I couldn't see it because I, you know, I didn't have access to the course, but it mentioned um, dog fighting from a reformed dog fighter's point of view. Was that somebody who took the course, or was that just somebody that you know that you had some contact with and spoke about somehow having changed from having been somebody who had dogs fighting? Right. So yeah, it's a person who who used to dog fight and um, came to the realization that it was extremely wrong. Kind of had an epiphany, um, starting to understand why it was wrong. And in our dog fighting section. Um, as with all of these sections, again, we explain the why. So the dog fighting is a pretty lengthy section and it explains the impact. You know, so we did, we produced, I think, 26 original videos because this course is what I like to call kind of in Hollywood business, they say edutainment. Uh -huh. or it's, it's educational, but I'm not saying it's humorous, but we definitely included um, that were, you know, interesting and yeah, educating. Well, smart, keep people's attention, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. so like we had, you know, we did one like a man on the street for the spay neuter, um, and in the dog fighting, we, um, we talked about, we did a myth busting section on the dog fighting, because a lot of people believe, you know, in certain countries and cultures, dog fighting is perfectly acceptable, so is cop fighting. Um, it's kind of a, a cultural thing, and, and it's acceptable, becoming less acceptable, and so we were explaining in the myth busting, we went through all these different myths, you know, um, myth number one, you know, the dogs enjoy it. They were bred to fight and they really enjoy it. Well, we explained well, why that's not really the case. You know, they don't have a choice like, like bo human boxers do. Um, you know, they, um, we're just trying to think, we, we have like 10 different myths in there. Mm -hmm. um, but so it's in all of these videos and in the dog fighting, the cock fighting, again, it's explaining to them just not that it's illegal, because if you tell somebody it's illegal and they still want to do it because they're not getting why they shouldn't do it, they're going to do it. Mm -hmm. They're going to find the more hidden place next time. Mm -hmm. um, so we're just hoping that they come to understand mm -hmm. and that they don't want to do it. Did that individual come to that realization just through the course, or did it take some other okay. interventions? Uh, nothing to do with the course this is just somebody who you know is kind of a speaker now about dog okay. fighting okay got it do it and why he no longer does it in kind of his light bulb moment mm -hmm. um and i think the moment was his own personal dog who he really loved um kind of bled out in front of him oh. okay. it, it, it made him it brought it home to him you know that this is not just you know right. like a machine fighting but this was you know Dodger or whatever the dog's name was. Right. Okay. And so. yeah. And by the way, people who are here, um, you know, in the chat, feel free to, um, you know, if you have any questions, we are going to have some Q and A. You could you could post those if you do or any comments. Um, and if this show is, you know, if this is interesting and educational for you, you know, please do like and subscribe. I do appreciate those of you who have been liking. Thank you. Um, so. You know, what is there anything that we haven't talked about that you think is, um, you know, just important for people to understand about bark or anything to do with, you know, animal protection, animal cruelty? Um, I would like to tell people that, um, you know, whenever they can, if they see something, I would really encourage them to report. 
Uh, I know in the past people have reported before this has become kind of much more that law enforcement has become much more aware. I think people, a lot of times, the ones that did care that that have cared for decades, encouraged about reporting because they felt like nothing was being done. And I have to admit that a lot of cases, nothing was being done. Um, but if you if you feel like that now, things have changed. I would really encourage you to please speak up because. Animals cannot do anything for themselves. If you see an animal in a hot car, don't just walk by. Call mall security. Um, call 911. You can remain anonymous if you want. You know, get as much information as possible. But animals cannot speak for themselves. And it's really a hidden crime. It's just like, you know, child abuse. If a child is at home and it's happening, and let's say they're homeschooled and they're not out and about where they can talk, or they're too young to tell anybody, yeah. an animal is exactly the same way. So if you do report and you feel like you're kind of being brushed off, um, be a squeaky wheel. You know, be nice. Um, don't be, you know, nasty to law enforcement because, to be honest with you, a lot of times law enforcement truly does not know. They don't know that there are laws on the books and that they can do something. And once you explain to them, I mean, worst comes to worst, you can Google the law in your jurisdiction and say, hey, I just happened to look it up. And you know what? There actually is a law in the books. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Wow. And then once they're empowered and they know they can do something. So I would really encourage people to, to, to report whenever they can in a way that's safe for them and not to do anything that would ever, ever jeopardize their safety. Like mm -hmm. if they feel like it's not safe to film with their phone, don't ever do anything that you feel might put you in harm's way. Okay. Um, you know, are there any hopes that you have for Bark, uh, for the future of Bark? Yes. So my biggest hope is is that um, animal services professionals will start to use it more. Um, animal services um, have ninety percent of the ninety-five percent of them in this country have a law enforcement section arm where they have humane officers who are going out and actually enforcing the animal cruelty laws. And having worked with animal control so often, I know that animal control officers in the field don't have a lot of time to educate, especially in busy cities. I mean, they have calls backed up. So they can't stand there for, stand there for 10 or 15 minutes educating an owner about why they should be feeding their animal, why they should be keeping them in a clean area. And a lot of times, again, it doesn't rise to the level of something that should be cited civilly or filed on criminally because there might not be enough evidence or that's not what it deserves. A person mm -hmm. just needs education. My hope was always that animal control professional, animal service professionals would start sending people to an educational class instead, whether it's BARC or any other course, so that they're educating people. And my, um, sadly, unfortunately, um, while prosecutors and probation officers are using bark a lot around the country for some reason animal professionals have um, animal service professionals have not really um, become aware um, or understand how they can use bark so my hope it is that they would start using it a lot more in the field because there are thousands of cases out there every single day where somebody just needs to be educated whether again it's through bark it doesn't matter you know local humane society sometimes class classes so it'd be great to see them using the educational tool more often. Do they have any like leeway if, say, an officer goes out, um, there's something that, like you said, it doesn't rise to the level of you can't put the person under arrest or you, can, you know, it can't be prosecuted. Um, at that point, is it just a matter of them saying, like, hey, I think it would be great if you watch this thing and, you know, you don't, it, there's no, like there's no way for them to force the person to do it if it's not a legal matter, if it doesn't become a legal matter? That's absolutely correct. They can't force anybody. But what they could do, for example, is to say, hey, listen, you know what? I could cite you. You know, you're in violation of municipal code section 222 and 999 and 20 other ones. Um, but I'm going to give you a choice. I could write you a citation and you can pay the fines or if you like, you can take a course. Okay. Um, yeah. So you have, um, and I, I just want to point one thing out because you'd said um, watching the course. It's more than watching. There is a quiz after every class. There are sixteen classes. They have to take a quiz and pass it with one hundred percent before they can move on to the next class. And then at the end, there's a final exam which covers the entire curriculum, and they have to pass that final exam with a minimum of eighty percent in order to pass the class. That's wonderful. Um, and then quizzes throughout again not just check not just in the chat right 
a very interactive course, and it's reinforced by testing their knowledge. How do you think the word can get out there more about BARC? I mean, do you encourage people to just, you know, contact their local humane society or like any, you know, or their local animal control, I mean, or, you know, to let them know about it in case they don't? Or how, how do people find out about this? How do different law enforcement agencies and across the country hear about it? So a lot of it is word of mouth and a lot of prosecutors, we've seen a real uptake in the, uptake in the courses because um, well, people want to do things online now, and this this course is completely online. And the beauty of that is a lot of people who have been charged or convicted of animal cruelty, you know, in order to go to classes, in-person classes, they'd have to take time off of work, and a lot of people really can't afford to lose a day or more days of work. Mm -hmm. So it's all online. So they're finding out about it um, more and more through word of mouth. Like one probation officer in their department has a case and they sent the person to bark and another probation officer say, God, I got this animal case. I don't know what to do with it. And they'll say, oh, you know, I use this course. And a lot of prosecutors now are becoming a lot more um, wanting to add an educational component. So a lot of people are just Googling for uh, Googling animal cruelty mm -hmm. classes or okay. courses. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Do you recommend people um, contact their <laughs> any any local law enforcement or anything to do with animal protection to just educate them about it or yeah that... absolutely somebody wanted other local prosecutor's office and say hey i heard you know i'd like to see animal cruelty cases i would love to see an educational component being added to whatever your case dispositions are that's great yeah so that's something we can just do as citizens um you know to help out and that's wonderful that it's available it really is i encourage people to go just like look around the site because it's it's quite extensive, um, you know, very, very amazing and innovative what you put together. Um, you know, I really was amazed by everything that's, <clears throat> excuse me, that's involved in the class. You really put so much thought into it. Um, and if there are any questions, I don't see anybody in the posting any questions. Um, well, I wonder, is there anything else that we missed? Um, that you feel like we need to touch on um, before I let you go. <clears throat> I know you have an, a, a commitment this evening um, too, but. Yeah, just quickly, I want to say, because I'm sure there are a lot of animal lovers who are watching this. And some people get um, upset when they hear that an animal abuser might have to take a course because they feel that that's not sufficient. Um, and I completely understand that. I mean, we obviously want to see people, um, you know, suffer the consequences of mistreating an animal. But I have to say that we have to be very, very realistic about um, a couple things. One is a lot of judges are not willing to impose, for example, jail time or prison time. Mm -hmm. um, it's better, but realistically speaking, we're not gonna get jail in, in a, uh, a lot of cases. We're not gonna get prison in a lot of cases. And But even in the cases where we do, to be realist, we have to really want true rehabilitation in my opinion at least, is doing something to change somebody's future behavior. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if a course is going to do it, but I will say that it's really great to at least try. Because right. it's really better than nothing. Right. So, um, you know, being realistic means that we have to kind of come down a little bit and say, they're not gonna get the death penalty they're not going to get 20 years of hard labor breaking rocks, you know, while they're on a chain gang. Mm -hmm. They may not even go to jail or prison, depending on which courtroom they end up in around the country. And so we have to really kind of, I don't want to say take what we can get, because I don't feel like this is like grasping, you know, this is just like, oh, well, this is just mm -hmm. part of the bad pun again, throwing somebody a bone. Mm -hmm. But really, you know, education is a real way, yeah. just like a domestic violence person. They're required in most, if not all, states to take a batterer's course mm -hmm. of, of um, domestic violence. And it's the same principle. Mm -hmm. So I, I would just really urge people that if they're thinking that a course is kind of like a lot of hooey in a case that involves abusing an animal, um, you know, we'd like to see stronger sentences in some parts of the country or different courtrooms. but this hopefully will have some impact on a person so that in the future they will either think before they do it some maybe they won't get an animal right. which is mm -hmm. cases right not everybody should have an animal mm -hmm. so 
Right, and that's in there. I mean, I remember seeing that. You know, it says like, should should you have an animal? That's one of the, one of the, one of the sections in the course is, exactly, or should you get more animals than you already have? Let's think about that. You know, some people just they keep getting more and more and can't afford them, and you know, um, or don't want to invest whatever is needed to be invested in some even if they can. Um, exactly, <laughs> and that's where the trouble starts for them. You know good intentions but you get overwhelmed it's expensive to feed a lot of animals it takes time to exercise all those animals yeah. veterinary as you know is a fortune yeah. so about the reality in one of the sections about having more than one animal what that means to you and how that could end badly for you legally right. and I'll badly for the animal of course yeah and are the are veterinarians i mean i'm i probably know this and i'm not really mm -hmm. thinking of exactly what how what the process is but um, it's somewhere in my memory, but veterinarians have some kind of duty to report, you know, obviously at some level where they're thinking an animal's been abused, but do you know where like the line is with that? Um, does it vary by state to state? It does vary by state by state, and in most, if not all states, then a veterinarian, what's call, is, it's called a mandated reporter. Yeah. Or mandated reporters of child abuse. Okay. Um, California animal control officers are mandated um, reporters of child abuse because they recognize, the law recognizes that when you go in on an animal abuse case, it's, you know, there's a good possibility you may see child abuse. Yeah. So yes, veterinarians are mandated reporters in a lot, if not all states. And at least in California, it says that um, they're mandated reporters of suspected animal cruelty. So if they suspect that it might be cruelty, it might, that injury might have been um, caused by, you know, intentional infliction of um, some type of physical force, or if they believe that the neglect that they're seeing um, rises to the level of, uh, of a crime, suspected animal cruelty, yes, they're mandated to report it. And if they don't report it, they actually can be charged with a misdemeanor. Okay. And if they report it in good faith, suspected animal cruelty, they are not going to be held um, civilly liable. Okay. Um, you know, and I was also just curious, or do you, do you, I don't know if you, you know, have the funding to do this, but have you been able to do any follow-up work or studies just to see if there's been any repeat offending, if that's gone down from people taking the course? So we have not done a longitudinal study. Um, we would like to at some point. A, we have not really been in existence long enough to get any type of meaningful statistic, but it would also require being able to um, access people's criminal yeah. history. Mm -hmm. We, you're not allowed to access criminal histories unless you have a legitimate law enforcement purpose. Mm -hmm. but, um, at the point that we will do it, we will have to rely upon the cooperation um, of the prosecutor, if they're even able to divulge that. Okay. So, because um, again, you can't access willy-nilly people's criminal histories. Yeah. And there's abuse registry like there is for sex offenders so you might be able to look somebody up online to see if they were convicted of a sex yeah. offense yeah um, at least in most states I don't think animal registry at uh, animal abuse registries have passed yet so um, I know a lot of states are working on that where mm -hmm. members of the public are able to know um, like especially like rescue groups or shelters before they adopt an animal out they'd be able to check the registry to see if somebody has a mm -hmm. conviction for Absolutely, yeah. That's yeah, that's a little bit of a controversial law, um, but it but it has passed, I think, in at least a couple or a few. Um, people could look that up on the Animal Legal Defense Fund, ALD. Mm -hmm. Really yeah, great we've about been on this show. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it. they're they're great. They, I've had them on the show a couple times, so um, you know, check them out and watch the show where they were on too, because they have some really interesting stuff coming up like the courtroom um courtroom advocacy program yeah, the yeah that's so great having an attorney to represent the animals side um mm -hmm. in court is wonderful right yeah that's a great group yeah they're they are they're wonderful um, Love a nice massage and a belly rub. Nothing makes me feel more relaxed. I like my ears rub. I like my paws rub. I like my back rub. I like my tail rub. I like to relax. Why?
Rub my belly. Rub my belly. Rub my belly, rub my belly. 